chaos at the Capitol. To those who engage in the acts of violence and destruction, you do not represent our country. A rush to distance, cabinet resignations, a reverse course. To pull back and allow the work of democracy to go forward. A struggle to right the ship of state. 147 GOP lawmakers vote to undo state's elections. Consider the evidence and resolve the claims. If the 25th Amendment won't be invoked, then we need to impeach. The scramble for the shot. I was one of the lucky ones. But the people are just crowding me. That's why I refuse to see them at once. A first-come, first-served free-for-all. They told us that they don't have enough resources to give us the shots. They said there was a computer glitch and that they over people were booked for today. The big stories, it's all this week. This week in South Florida. Good morning, welcome, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam. I'm Glenna Milberg. We come on the air today as Congress moves toward impeaching the president and his supporters plan their next moves. This week's chaos at the Capitol is under layers of investigation now. The bloodshed and trashing at the symbolic and literal halls of U.S. democracy came with a call to disrupt Congress as it moved to certify the Electoral College results. 147 members of Congress, all Republicans, voted to reject the electors in Arizona and Pennsylvania, which effectively would have disenfranchised millions of voters. And among those voting to decertify, Florida Senator Rick Scott and Miami Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart and Carlos Jimenez. Only Carlos Jimenez accepted our invitation to join us today, but just a little while ago, canceled this morning, citing a medical emergency. We are grateful that Congressman Ted Deutsch of Boca Raton can join us this morning. There he is. Good morning, Congressman. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to be with you. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, right. Glenna. And congratulations on being reelected chair of the House Ethics Committee. Thank you. Uh, Congressman, uh, were the words that Donald Trump gave at the ellipse on Wednesday the fuse that lit the bomb that went off at the Capitol? Well, this was a this was a fuse that was lit. Um, you could go back to the beginning of of the administration, but certainly you could go back to the days before the election when the president said announced that if he lost, the only way he would lose was if there was fraud. And then he lost, and he lost by a lot, seven million popular votes, and, a, and he was trounced in the electoral college. And uh, and sure enough said that it was fraud, started advancing conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory, day after day after day. Uh, and then fast forward to what happened on Wednesday morning when when he urged the, the people who attended this rally to march on the Capitol and, and fight back. So this is incitement. It's not, it's not, it's sad, but it's not complicated. It's shocking, but it's not surprising. This is what, uh, this is what led to this, and this is why we're focused on how we can move forward to ensure that the president does no further damage to our country, to our national security, or to our standing in the world. Congressman, so you, you are one of the people calling for this second impeachment, and um, I pulled a draft of the impeachment article that was written. Um, of course, impeachment is for high crimes and misdemeanors, and I want to read for our viewers uh, a little bit about what he says about the president, who uh, it says also willfully made statements that encouraged and foreseeably resulted in imminent lawless action at the Capitol, kind of what you were just talking about. Uh, you're, you're an attorney deconstructing his speech. 
does it rise to that kind of criminal evidence that that impeachment would be appropriate? What's what's appropriate here is that we, um, Glenna, is that we shouldn't have to worry about what the what this president may choose to do over the next week and a half after what happened on Wednesday. That's why we, and again, uh, I joined with a number of my colleagues in urging the vice president to invoke the 25th Amendment. Um, uh, there's, there are widespread calls for the president to resign, and there's this impeachment, but it's not, this isn't, a, this isn't just a, a legal matter of interpre interpreting uh, what's in this document. We now have heard from Republicans in the House, Republicans in the Senate, uh, those closest to the president who serve at his side, who have resigned saying, this is too much, we cannot tolerate this. Uh, conservative commentators and newspapers who have called for the president to leave office, we have to use every tool that we have to hold the president accountable and to allow us to turn the page so that we can move on safely and defend our democracy and defend our constitution. Yeah. A ABC News Ipsos poll that came out this morning shows that 56% of Americans believe the president should be removed. But Congressman Deutsch, you know, there are others who are going to say, look, 10 days left in the guy's presidency. He's going to leave. He is finally conceded that Joe Biden won. So just let it go. What's your response to that? Michael, how, how often have we heard in this administration uh, arguments along the lines of, well, this is just Trump being Trump. This is what he does. does. He, he sees people marching with tiki torches, screaming, Jews will not replace us, sees very fine people in that group, and we say, well, let's not overdo it. Uh, he puts people in cages at the border. We say, let's not overdo it. He uses tear gas and, and, and the military to clear out a park of peaceful protesters seeking racial justice. And we say, well, this is just what Trump does and the president and there's going to be an election. And now we've had an election and we've seen what can happen when there is a violent attack on the symbol of representational democracy in our country. And we say, well, it's only 10 more days. I, I don't I don't see how it is that it's acceptable for us to look at what happened on Wednesday. Uh, in this this insurrection, this insurrection on our capital, and say, well, why don't we just sit back? We'll see how this plays out. We'll cross our fingers. We'll hope nothing like this happens again. Uh, there's, we need to do everything we can to move forward, uh, and the way to do that is to protect our country, our reputation, uh, the office of the presidency, uh, by listening to what all those Republicans and conservatives and Democrats have come together and said, which is that the president needs to leave office. Congressman, uh, shortly after that, in the wee hours of the morning, and despite what we have just been talking about and looking at, 147 of your colleagues nationally voted to overturn, essentially, votes in two states, either one or both, Arizona and Pennsylvania. Uh, a dozen of them are your colleagues, uh, Florida congressmen and women, uh, and uh, Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, and I wonder if you had any conversations with any of those colleagues, and, and what did you say to them, and what was their response about that? Um, I've not had an opportunity to, to speak with my colleagues yet. We finished it, um, as you point out, at around 4 in the morning. Uh, important that we were not going to allow that insurrection prevent us from doing 
our job of defending our democracy. Um, and, but when I have the opportunity, I will make clear, as I, I have publicly, how sorely disappointing it is that, that my colleagues chose, that Senator Scott chose uh, to try to reverse the outcome of an election. This is not a question of, of how you feel about the candidates. This is not, this is not about whether you think that, uh, that things went the way that you wanted or not. This is about doing the job that we have as elected officials, which is to certify the outcome of an election that was contested, that was challenged by the losing candidate in dozens and dozens of courtrooms around the country that was that saw the president of the United States attempt to convince, to threaten an elected official, multiple elected officials, it appears now, in Georgia, again, to step in at the last minute to reverse, um, to simply certify that after all of that, we have an outcome that's been certified. Congress needs to step in and do that. And yet they chose to vote to reverse the outcome of the election. It is uh, it is a sad, I believe, it's a, a sad dereliction of duty to take the side of a president who is espousing conspiracy theories rather than standing with the Constitution, with our democracy, with the judiciary and all of those judges who, who rejected out of hand all of these conspiracy yeah. theories advanced by the, the losing candidate, by the president. Um, and I, that's what I will tell them when we have this conversation, and we need to be able to, to move forward. But I'll tell you, it's really, really challenging when, uh, when people failed to, to stand up and do their job, which is not to defend the president and his yeah. crazy theories. Well, but we would have, Congressman, excuse me, but we, sure. we were going to ask Congressman Jimenez why he voted as he did. He has a medical emergency. So, you know, we will do it on another occasion. Let me ask you this. The U.S. Sure. Capitol Police were woefully unprepared for what happened on Wednesday, even though other military intelligence, police intelligence, the ADL, any number of people warned the Capitol Police three, four, five days ahead of time, you know, the Proud Boys, QAnon, all these violent people were going to be part of this crowd. What happened? Why were they so unprepared? Well, I, Michael, I, we don't know yet, and, and we're going to get to the bottom of it. Uh, they, the Capitol Police also knew to be prepared. That's why we were all told on Tuesday that we should arrive early at the Capitol on Wednesday, that we should plan to stay within the Capitol complex and not go outside the entire day. We knew that there were threats, but I'm going to I'm going to use this just quickly as an opportunity to point out that while we figure out what happened, uh, the Capitol Police officers, at least one of whom has died and, and another, it appears, perhaps may have um, so many of them, uh, all of them put their lives at risk to defend us. And we need to find out what what happened that led to this. But the mental health challenges that they're facing now and that people who uh, who survived this in the Capitol, staff members in particular, uh, are immense. And as someone who has been through the crisis of, uh, of trauma associated with a mass shooting, I hope we learn from this, not just what happened to stop the, uh, that led to this breach on our democracy, but I hope it reminds us that we need to do more to address the mental health aspects of things like this when they happen and to redouble our efforts 
to prevent the kinds of things like that sh horrible shooting at Marjory Stoneman Douglas in February of 2018. Um, these, this sort of trauma is real. And I, I'm sorry if it's a little off topic, but I've heard from so many of the families from uh, from Parkland and from Coral Springs uh, and from all throughout South Florida who are who are are just reminded of of the trauma that they felt. It's a different setting, I know, but it's important for us to stand up and ensure adequate mental health resources and to redouble our efforts to stop gun Congressman, violence. Congressman, before in the short time we have left, I, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on something. Twitter. Uh, suspended, canceled the president's accounts this week. And the reason Twitter used is because uh, they said that it was this Twitter account was a risk to inciting violence. And so for many people, that move is raising questions about big tech, so to speak, uh, orchestrating free speech. Is that a slippery slope to you? And it also sort of involves a lot of Spanish language radio where disinformation is percolating in our neck of the woods. Um, yeah. I'm interested to hear your take on that. Well, first of all, I, I mean, let's be honest. I, I'm, I, I wish that some of the outrage that we've seen uh, among people because the president was thrown off of Twitter uh, I, I wish that they shared at least a, a fraction of that outrage for the attack that took place on our nation's capital, um, incited by the president and the conspiracy theories that he's been espousing. That's number one. Uh, number two, uh, look, there are lots of issues that we're going to be grappling with in the new Congress uh, in, in the way that uh, that the technology companies operate. Um, but but Twitter took this action and Facebook acted similarly uh, because they believed that the president posed that the president's tweets posed a threat. Imagine if they had actually taken that action sooner. Imagine if we had, if the president, as so many of us had said from the beginning, had stopped tweeting and actually focused on uh, on trying to bring the country together instead of using Twitter to to viciously attack those who don't believe and support everything that he does. Um, yes, there there are lots of conversations we're going to have. But let's remember the outrage and the shock and the anger really ought to be focused on what happened on Wednesday yeah. when our nation's capital was yeah. uh, came under attack yeah, that, by Americans. That indeed should be everybody's focus. Congressman Ted Deutsch, always good to speak with you. Thanks very much. Thanks Glad so much. you survived the attack. Well, thanks very much. And um, it's good to be with you as always. And, and I hope we move forward with a, a happier new year. Same. Thank, Thank you. you. And next thanks. up. The frustrations and the fears, the efforts to get the coveted COVID-19 vaccine. The CEO of Miami-Dade's Public Hospital joins us live when we come back. Frustrations boiled over this week in South Florida as seniors tried and failed to get appointments for COVID vaccine. Scheduling websites opened but filled and closed in minutes. Hospital systems from Broward to Miami-Dade just could not accommodate the crush of people who want and need that vaccine. And among those is Miami-Dade's ja uh, Miami Jackson Health System, the public hospital system there. CEO Carlos Magoya is here with us via Skype today. Carlos, good morning. Great hey, to see Carlos, you. How are you doing? Great to see you. I, although I'm not seeing you, it's great hearing from you guys. Well, thanks. <laughs> you know, on Friday, your health system, Jackson, announced that it had 10,000 vaccine appointments it was going to hand out. What did it take, 20 minutes for those appointments uh, to be filled? 
Well, not exactly, Michael. When uh, we opened it up last week, uh, we were it said we would open it by by 11 o'clock in the morning. We did open it early. It was my call. The moment we were ready to go, I had it open at 9 o'clock in the morning, hoping that we wouldn't crash the system, which we did not. We opened it at 9.15 or so. By 11.20, we had filled all 12,000 appointments. All right, so about two hours. I mean, but it went very quickly. And how many people sort of got left off that list? Well, the, uh, all, all 12,000 of those did get their appointments. I will say we did have 80,000 hits over that period of time. Um, and obviously, you know, listen, we are focused on people over 65 years of age. There are 465 people over 65 years of age in our county. So obviously that's the challenge that we're going through right now. And uh, what we're trying to do is make sure that the entire county opens as many different sites as we can to vaccinate uh, everyone that's possible. But at this, t at this time, besides the opportunities to vaccinate people, the biggest challenge is to supply. 465,000 seniors in Miami-Dade, I think a, a quarter of the state are 65 and older, so it's a, a statewide rush. Um, Carlos, I, we had the Director of Emergency Management for the state, Jared Moskowitz, was on this program last week. Clearly, it's a, it comes down to a supply problem, I, and we know that you and other hospitals and the state and the governor doesn't know what's coming until seven days, maybe, before it gets here. So it's a really difficult logistical challenge, and I think everybody gets that but but clearly there are problems with distribution right now i don't mean to pick on jackson at all or any other hospitals because we've seen a real effort going forward no doubt but what will it take you're a, you're a logistics guy what do you see as the issue to get these logistics right yeah. to get the vaccines into the people who need them most with the supply you have right now the Right now, from a standpoint of Miami-Dade County is concerned, and and Broward as well, because I know what's going on at Broward, as much as we're getting vaccine into our communities, we are vaccinating people within a seven-day period, which is the goal. And we're not, no one is setting appointments unless we actually have the vaccine in place. Last thing we want to do is set up an appointment without vaccines. And that's what everyone is doing at this point in time. So the greatest, the critic, the, the greatest critique, excuse me for interrupting right now, is that there's no central plan. Mm -hmm. We hear in the newsroom day after day, deluge of emails from seniors saying, what do, who do I have to talk to? What do I have to do to get one of these? They see lines of people. Mm -hmm. What do you tell someone who needs it? or who is eligible, they just can't get it. That, that is the truth. Well, some people are getting it. We have actually vaccinated at this point in time over 50,000 people in Miami-Dade County and continue to vaccinate people. The goal is to get to a point of at least 75,000 vaccinations a, a week. Right now, we're really only running, uh, we're running 14,000 a week and there's uh, other, uh, other hospitals. Uh, HMOs are actually doing it right now. The county is doing some of it. Uh, we're running between 25,000 and 30,000 a week who are getting it. I know you're focused on the negative. I like to focus on the positive of the people that are getting it. Yeah. Well, we're glad people are getting it who need it. Uh, we do read, however, and talk to people who are from Brazil or Canada or Mexico, Argentina, who are coming here to get these shots because they can't get them at home. Uh, is that really fair? Well, Michael, it, uh, I think for years we've uh, enjoyed the fact that many people from all over the world have homes here in Miami-Dade County and in South Florida. Now, are we going to go ahead and, and refuse them being here? The governor's uh, point of view on this one, which I have to agree with, is if these people are living in, in, in South Florida, if they're living in Florida 
and they are here and they're infected, they will, they will spread the disease. So therefore, we want to make sure that everyone who's in uh, Florida or in South Florida has an opportunity to get vaccinated no matter where they come from. Just to uh, not focus on the negative at all, to set the record straight, we challenge the narrative. That's our duty and our responsibility, and we also highlight the positive. And I was there out at Jackson, and I know you're working hard, and I know it's a scramble, and the logistics are something that no one has ever uh, encountered before. So we are reporting on that. Please don't think we're negative. Carlos <laughs> Magoya, CEO, Jackson Health I System. I love you. I love both of you guys. Okay? <laughs> I'm not saying anything negative about you. <laughs> Take Back care. Back at you, Carlos. Yeah. Thank oh, you. And, and always for being your, accessible to us, and we appreciate that And a lot. for your tremendous staff. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks. All right. We'll be right back. <laughs> Thank you for being here with us on this abbreviated edition of This Week in South Florida. Why? NFL playoffs are next. And remember, we're online 24-7 at local10.com. And remember, as always, stay informed, get involved, and wear your mask, please. <laughs>